you for that lovely introduction. Um, as you just heard, my name's David. Uh, I'm from a place called Trendwatching. It is great to be back. Uh, this talk is called Human After All, and I'm just going to dive straight into the process of explaining to you guys why it is called that. So we are here to talk about how to fix digital. We've all already seen an amazing day one, um, full of thinking about how we do just that. I now want to kick off day two by talking about a way of looking at digital, a way of looking at technology and innovation, a way of looking at the future, really, that can do a couple of things. Number one, it can empower us to see what went wrong. Number two, even more important, it can help us make sure that the next wave of innovation, uh, the coming decades, are better. But first of all, why fix digital? Well, I don't have to tell you guys really in this room that you only have to look over the past handful of months to see there is a lot that needs fixing. So we learned in the past couple of months that Apple's cash pile now stands at an astounding $285 billion. Is that how capitalism was supposed to work? Um, Facebook has been busy breaking democracy for the past like couple of years. Mark Zuckerberg had to go to the Senate this year to testify about that. Became obvious pretty quickly that most of the senators there did not understand the internet. Um, but at least we all got to realize who it is that Mark reminds us of. <laughs> finally, finally, uh, Elon Musk has gone insane. Um, <laughs> And all of this right, is just playing out against a backdrop of rising awareness that our relationship with digital, our relationship with these devices is not healthy. You have people checking their phone like 600 times a day. It gets to the point where you have to ask yourself, are we using the phones or are the phones using us? Uh, and I think more broadly, the challenge when it comes to digital is clear. Uh, just that early promise that the internet held of a new age of global enlightenment, right? A new digital brotherhood and sisterhood of humankind, uh, a newly energized democracy, a new age of creativity. A lot of that has been unfulfilled. And instead, we've had a lot of unexpected problems. You know, all the toxic behavior, all the addiction, all the fake news, Donald Trump on Twitter, endless arguments in the YouTube comment sections, all of that. So it's not just us, it's everyone. It's the entire world asking, where next? Where next for the digital innovation? Where next for societies? Where next for innovators like you? Well, I have a simple, powerful truth that I want to share with you today um, that I think can help us answer that question. Like I say, I think it can help us understand what's just happened. It can also help us understand where we are heading next. Okay? And here is that simple truth. Yes, it's a new world. The pace of digital innovation for the last 20 years has been staggering. But amid that new world, we are still the same old humans with the same old basic human needs. So human beings are motivated by a set of basic needs and wants. It's things like value, security, convenience, love, excitement. Uh, they are very stable. They don't really change decade on decade. They don't change century on century. So yes, it's a new world, and in another 20 years, it's going to be a new world all over again. But in that new world, we will still be the same old humans with the same basic human needs. Last year, 
The theme here at this festival was digital sucks. Uh, and I was here to talk about the Silicon Valley ideology of techno-optimism. We were sold this ideology that said, people are inherently good. All we have to do is connect the world. Everything will be amazing. Many of our shared problems will be solved. Okay, I think the fundamental problem with that ideology is that it ignores the core truth I have just shared with you. It ignores human nature. And if, instead, we'd seen this wave of digital innovation that we've just had through the lens of human nature, through the lens of basic human needs and wants, we might have seen some of these unexpected problems coming. Okay? We might have seen all the vanity, all the diet fads on Instagram. We might have seen all the Tinder guys with all their dogs. Okay? We might have seen all the fake news, the lies, and the misinformation. Uh, I'm not saying, I'm definitely not saying, I saw all that coming, right? I didn't. Uh, and it's very easy to be wise in retrospect. But I am saying we have a chance to be better in the decades that are ahead, and that this truth that I'm talking to you about can really help with that. Okay? Because we can use this truth to say, look, this new wave of innovation is coming. Talking about artificial intelligence, virtual reality, augmented reality, automation, robotics, the type of technologies we cluster under the banner of the fourth industrial revolution. Okay? Yes, these technologies are coming, but as they emerge and as they mature, we will still be the same old humans with the same basic human needs. And what that truth does is it allows us to start to get a handle on how those technologies are going to change human lives, okay? Because new trends in human behavior, new trends in human behavior, attitude, and mindset are made of those two fundamental building blocks. On the one hand, change. On the other hand, basic human needs. Okay? So these technologies are going to come along, and they're going to create new ways to serve basic human needs. Because to be more specific, new trends emerge when change comes along, often a new technology, and it unlocks new ways to serve an age-old human need. Okay? These new trends in human behavior are about new ways to serve age-old basic human needs. And these technologies I want to talk to you about, AI, VR, AR, automation, they are going to come along and unlock new ways to serve basic human needs in the 21st century. So everyone wants to ask themselves, what is the 21st century going to be like? How is life going to be in the 21st century? And often the answers to that question at the moment revolve around things like, you know, automation and jobs, AI and unemployment, and the economy, uh, and genetic technology and health. And all of that is totally legitimate. That is a really interesting, you know, necessary conversation. But if we really want to think more broadly about how will life be in the 21st century, how is it going to feel, we need to look beyond that to another set, a specific set of basic human needs. Okay, and then the question becomes, well, what basic human needs specifically do we need to look at? And to answer that question, just need to take a step back from where we are right now in 2018, look very quickly about how we got here, about what modernity, what technology, technological progress has done to us. Okay, you can think about modernity as a two-stage process. This is a very simplified model, obviously, of a complex thing, but it is useful. Think of modernity as a two-stage process. Stage one was about serving our material needs, our physical needs, and 20th century modernity was mainly about this too. Okay? It gave us incredible power over the physical world around us to allow us to serve our material needs in ever more powerful ways. 
And in affluent countries like ours, we are very lucky. That project has been incredibly successful, and we now live with massive abundance, like this guy, okay? We're very lucky people. Um, but human beings are more than just material beings. We think about more than just material things. When it comes to a range of higher-order human needs, okay, a range of qualities that we like to think define us as uniquely human against other animals, things like happiness, love, um, religion, creativity, politics, and belief, when it comes to those higher-order human needs, Modernity had little to say directly to those needs. It had lots of side effects, but it had little to say to them uh, directly. And that was a problem for us, okay? Um, so I just want to look at what that means for us in, in 2018, because the thing is, modernity plunged us into even greater difficulty, it can feel like, when it comes to those higher-order basic human needs. It did that for a couple of reasons. Number one, modernity stripped us of our sense um, that our lives have a greater cosmic meaning in the scheme of things, right? It stripped us of religion. Number two, modernity, because it, it served our material needs so successfully, it just freed us up to obsess over these higher-order human needs um, more than ever before, right? Like, Am I happy? Why can't I find someone to fall in love with? Am I creative? Am I fulfilled? What, what is the meaning of my life? What is the purpose of my life? We obsess over those questions more than any other human beings in history. And that really is the defining predicament of all of us. That is the defining situation of a person inside modernity in 2018. And it is that quest for meaning in your life, for purpose in your life, that is going to define life in the 21st century for billions of affluent people. Okay, what does my life mean? Will be the question they are asking themselves. Of course, this quest for meaning is absolutely huge. It's a massive thing to think about. So I just want to break it down into three constituent parts. This is why I showed you this slide. Okay, three constituent parts. Connection, social connection, status, and belief. Okay? They are three higher-order human needs that are hard-coded into us. We've always pursued these things. And these three higher-order human needs are also fundamental to the way people construct meaning in their own lives. Okay? Think about it. People find meaning in their lives through their social connections, through the relationships they have with other human beings. That's a powerful source of meaning. They find meaning in their lives through their status. What are they achieving? How are they elevating themselves above their peers? Okay, it's a powerful source of meaning in your life. Um, and belief, what do I believe? Okay, what are my values? What are a set of values I can subscribe to? That's obviously a hugely powerful source of meaning in people's lives. So we've always pursued these, these higher-order human needs. In the 21st century, we will continue to do so. But the crucial thing is, if we want to understand what's coming next, we need to think about how these new technologies we are talking about are going to unlock new ways to serve these higher-order human needs. Okay? And I think something fascinating is happening. I think the cluster of technologies we're talking about, AI, VR, AR, automation, robotics, they are unlocking ways to serve those higher-order human needs directly, like more powerfully, more immediately than ever before. And that is going to create 
all kinds of hugely powerful, long-lasting, meaningful trends in human behavior, in human attitude, in human mindset in the 21st century, okay? And if we can see those trends coming this time, and we can understand them a bit better maybe than we did with the first wave of digital innovation, we can be prepared and we can start to think about what do they mean, how are they going to affect us as societies, what do we need to do to prepare for them? Okay, so I just want to look at, love this slide, very cute. I just want to look at these three higher order human needs uh, and look at how new technologies are going to be unlocking new ways to serve them and unpack some of the big trends that I see coming. So let's start with this higher order human need. Let's start with connection. Like I said, Social connection is hardwired into us. We've always pursued that. That is a human need that's always been with us. It always will be with us, okay? Uh, but historically, the only way to serve that, that higher-order human need was via other human beings. You have to connect to other human beings. Something, is really in, something really interesting is happening now. That is, a new technology is disrupting this human need. That new technology is artificial intelligence, right? And everyone in this room, of course, has tracked the evolving AI story for the last handful of years, okay? And a part of that story is, for the first time ever, we are connecting now, uh, we are talking to, basically, not just other human beings, but also AI-fueled virtual entities, right? Uh, but so far, those conversations have been very functional. They've been very transactional. You almost don't really think of them as a conversation, right? We're talking about talking to Alexa because you want to purchase a product or talking to a chatbot because you want to check your bank balance, okay? These are very functional, transactional conversations. Uh, and that is now totally mainstream. You've seen this statistic before. Here's Gartner saying, by 2020, most people will have more conversations with chatbots than they will with their spouse, okay? Doesn't say whether we're supposed to be happy about that or not. But that is totally mainstream now. I think a really interesting shift is happening, okay? And it's a shift in the nature of our relationship uh, with these virtual entities. It's shifting from a relationship that's very functional, very transactional, to a relationship that's about deeper human things, things like happiness, health, wellness, companionship, even friendship. We are starting to connect to these AI entities for those things too, right? And if you find that very hard to believe, just ask yourself, you don't have to admit it in public, just ask yourself, have you ever uh, asked Siri a question that goes beyond the purely functional, the purely transactional, okay? Have you ever asked Siri a question like, how can I be happy? Or even just like, what should I get my girlfriend or boyfriend for Christmas? Just something like that, something that has some feeling behind it. If you have done that, then you're already starting to admit to yourselves that this shift is real, okay? This shift is happening. A shift in our relationship with these virtual entities is happening. It's not just about functionality and transaction anymore. It's about deeper human things too. And actually, Apple know we are doing this, right? Because if you listen to what Apple are saying, they say they're hiring counselors and psychologists into the Siri team so Siri can start to have more serious conversations with all of us, right? So they know we're talking to Siri in this way. So you put all that together, you come to this first powerful trend that I think will really help shape the 21st century. It's a trend we call virtual companions, right? And as I say, essentially, it's all about saying, for the first time in history, us, human beings, are going to start having meaningful social connections with things that are not human beings, 
okay, with pieces of technology that are fueled by artificial intelligence. And we need to start thinking now about what that means for all of us. Um, you can see this shift coming even in a fairly ordinary innovation like this. Okay? This is Nelly. Nelly is a robot that was just launched this summer at Istanbul Airport, and she roams around the airport helping people. Nelly is mainly about functionality. Like, you can use Nelly to buy a ticket, you can use Nelly to like, check in, but she's not just about that, she's also about emotion too. So she has face recognition, she has voice recognition, uh, she can come to understand the emotional state of a person who is talking to her and adjust her behavior accordingly, right? So if you're a nervous flyer, she tries to reassure you. She can make small talk and all this kind of stuff. It's obviously all fueled by machine learning. You can see in an innovation, even a fairly ordinary, like we see stuff like this all the time, okay? Even in a fairly ordinary innovation like this, you see the beginnings of this shift from a relationship with technology that's about functionality to a relationship that's about deeper emotional kinds of social connection. I think they could have made Nelly look a little bit less like Darth Vader, <laughs> but that's just me, okay? Um, let's take this on a step. What about AI-fueled virtual entities that are there to deal with the problem of, like, loneliness and companionship? This is Ellie Q. She is a companion robot for older people. We know one of the massive megatrends of the 21st century is going to be aging populations, okay? Hundreds of millions of older people. Yes, they'll need physical care, lots of them, of course. They'll also need emotional support and companionship. And again, all through history, the only things that could provide that are other human beings, right? Are we on the verge of a moment where technologies can start to provide that too, or will start to provide that? I won't tell you any more about this example. Just watch this video, you'll see what I mean. Megan sent a new photo. Would you like to look at it? Yes, please. Oh, he's a gem. Would you like to respond to Megan's post? Sure. Recording in three, two, one. LEQ reminds me to take my meds, arranges rides for me. She even reminds me of all my appointments. Mary, don't forget bridge with the Golden Girls at 1 p.m. Would you like to practice? I don't need to practice. I didn't catch that. Do you want to play bridge or not? Oh, fine. Let's play. Practice your bridge, Mary. Practice your bridge. Um, so LEQ might be a bit annoying. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm showing you this as a signal, again, of this shift, okay? A shift in the nature of our relationship with technology, from a relationship that's just about functionality and transaction to a relationship that's about deeper human things like companionship, loneliness. Can we kick this on a step even further? What about technologies? What about AI-fueled virtual entities that are to do with friendship or even romantic relationships? Yes, romantic relationships. This is Gatebox. Um, Gatebox is a kind of Alexa-style home assistant uh, device with a difference. Again, I don't have to tell you too much. I'm just going to play you this video. I think you will find it very interesting, and then I'll come back. So check this out. Hey, 
おはようあ今日雨が降るかもしれないから傘持って行って急がないと遅刻しちゃうよ行ってきます行ってらっしゃい気をつけてね I know what you're thinking. Okay? <laughs> yes, that is fucking crazy.、Uh, <laughs> and look, I am not telling you, I'm not showing you this example to tell you、uh, that the 21st century is going to be dominated by weird kind of girlfriend in a jar type innovations, right? I'm not saying that's what you should go and do. I'm not even saying this trend is a good thing necessarily, okay? I'm saying it is happening. I'm showing you this example. As a signal of this powerful shift, okay, the nature of people's relationship with these technologies is changing. It's not just functional and transactional anymore, it's to do with social connection on a deep human level, okay? And I honestly think this will not be seen as that unusual、uh, 10, 20 years from now. I think we can see this go on several steps further, okay? And I think you guys already know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sex robots, okay? There are people out there, serious people, serious technologists, who think that we have to prepare ourselves for a time when there will be full sized human, not human, but human like AI fueled、uh, robots that people will have full scale human, including physical, like relationships with, right? Now, that seems to us right now totally crazy and pretty gross, right? And yes, I agree. But if you are sitting out there thinking you are 100% confident that this will never happen, just think about this. It's only 20 years ago, and some of you like, are not even old enough to remember this. It's only 20 years ago when the idea of online dating, the idea that you would go to the internet to help you find a partner, like a boyfriend, a girlfriend, whatever, was something that was steeped. In total, utter, deep humiliation and shame. Okay? Online dating was something that only ultra, ultra nerds did who could not be successful in the real world. It was something utterly humiliating, right? That no one would ever admit to. I'm talking about in the like, late 90s here. Okay? So it's like 20 years ago.、Um, now, where are we? Like, Tens of millions of people swiping through hundreds of millions of, pro of profiles on Tinder every day. And yes, I've heard some of them even meet in real life, okay? And they don't think they met online, right? They don't go around saying, yeah, we met online. They think they just met, okay? So mindset, mind, mind, mindsets around this stuff shift. 
They shift very rapidly. We've seen one big shift already. A mindset shift can happen again. So I don't think we can be 100% confident, I certainly don't feel it, that what I'm talking about with these robots is never going to happen, right? I think we don't know, and we're going to have to see. And what that means um, is we, you, all of us, we need to prepare ourselves for this trend. We need to start to think about what this trend, virtual companions, means for us in the 21st century, okay? What does it mean that people are going to start to cultivate deep social connections with things other than human beings, right? With, with virtual AI-fueled entities. It has all kinds of implications for us as individuals, for our health, our mental health, for us as societies, for the family. I don't have answers to any of that, really. I'm just the guy who can say, I think this trend is coming. We all need, as a society, to have a discussion about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, one last thing on this trend. This is a subject that's particularly close to my heart. Because of that, I'm working with this London-based startup. They're called Constellation AI. Um, they are making an AI-fueled conversational agent called IMI. IMI is going to use, it's a fascinating project, like principles derived from neuroscience to be able to talk to you, uh, learn about you just like on a deep level, uh, learn about who you are. And the idea is, in the end, through these conversations, you get to have a greater clarity about who you are as a person and what you believe, and that helps you make uh, better life decisions. So if you want to live and breathe this trend, virtual companions, as it's emerging, if you want to be among the first to do it, you can sign up to be one of the first users of IMI. Just go to this address, constellation.ai slash waitlist. Okay, let's move on. Uh, the other, the second big higher order human need I want to talk to you about is status. Again, the pursuit of status is hard-coded into us. As human beings, we've always sought to elevate ourselves above our peers, to achieve things that are special, so that we can feel good about ourselves, so that we stand out. Um, You've heard me stand on this stage before and say we've lived through a massive status shift in the last 20 years or so. Status for us used to be a lot about what I have as a person. Like, I have a lot materially. So like the big house, the supercar, the expensive holiday, that's how we displayed status as consumers in the traditional way. Um, we are so affluent now in our societies that those things don't have the status power that they used to have. And now status has become not so much about what I have, but more about who I am as a person. Okay, who I am as a person. I am more connected, I am smarter, I am healthier, I am more enlightened, I am the guy on the beach in my incredible yoga wear, doing yoga as the sun comes up, like, you know, that is who I am. That is where status is at in 2018. Now, of course, that's been massively fueled by social media, by Instagram, which turns all of this into a very shareable currency. So, you know, this picture straight onto Instagram, a lot of status from that. I feel great about myself. That's where status is at in 2018, okay? When you have a model of status that's a lot about who you are as a person, what that does is it sends consumers on an epic quest for self-improvement. Okay, for experiences and knowledge and skills that improve who they are as people, that make them better people, that enhance them, um, because that becomes a status quest for them. Okay? And what we're going to see in the 21st century, again, is this cluster of technologies that I'm talking to you about, AI, VR, AR, all of that, robotics, sensors, the Internet of Things. They are going to unlock new ways 
to serve this status-fueled quest for self-improvement. We're going to see people leveraging these technologies for self-improvement purposes. So you come to the second big trend that I think will really help shape the 21st century, another trend we have to be deeply aware of if we want to think about how we fix digital in the decades ahead. That trend is called lab rats. And as I've just said, it's essentially about human beings in the 21st century using new technologies to test and fix, to experiment with themselves, to enhance themselves as human beings in this status-fueled quest for self-improvement. Again, let's start with a very down-to-earth example, right? We see these kinds of examples at trend-watching all the time. This is Neutrino. Um, it's an AI-fueled app. What it does is it pairs with a wearable device, um, you talk to it about the food you're eating, you take pictures of all the food that you eat, and using this wearable device, uh, it measures how you metabolize food, okay? And then it's using AI to turn that data uh, around and become your personalized nutritional coach. So it will say to you, you are this type of person, you metabolize food in this kind of way, this is the type of diet you should eat, right? Pretty simple now by 2018 standards. Again, we see these kinds of innovations all the time. But even in an innovation like this, you see the beginnings of this trend, okay? How people are going to leverage these new technologies, including artificial intelligence, on this status-fueled quest for self-improvement. This is just a tiny angle of self-improvement, like let me improve my diet, become a healthier person. But we could get, again, can kick it on a step. Like I said, we're just about to fill the world with sensors. That's going to profoundly change uh, our relationship with the physical world around us and how we measure our own bodies and, uh, and that kind of stuff. This is an innovation called Zenema. Uh, it's a shirt that's filled with sensors that can help you measure your physical activity and your physical health. Again, let me just play you this video. You'll understand much more about it. Check this out. You can even put it in the washing machine. <laughs> so like I say, again, I'm not saying that shirts filled with sensors are going to dominate the 21st century. I'm not saying this is the innovation you should go and create. I'm showing you this example of a signal, as a signal of this powerful trend, OK, lab rats. The way we're going to see people leveraging new technologies 
on this status-fueled quest for self-improvement, okay? But can we kick it on a step even further? What about devices that aren't just about helping you measure stuff, helping you practice stuff? What about devices that genuinely help you or allow you to hack the human body, to gain new capabilities, new skills, to enhance yourself physically, to be able to do things that before you couldn't even do? This is the electrospit talk box, um, okay? It's a device that can turn anyone basically into an amazing singer. The device itself is the kind of headphone type thing you can see around this guy's neck. Um, this is how the Electrospit talk box works in practice. And you can, of course, also add vibrato that way. And if you're not super fast on the keys or you're just getting started, you can just solo over a, a major scale or any scale that you want to use and sound just like this. That way you're always in the right key in the So yeah, I think I'll get one of those for my next talk. Um, <laughs> again, it's such a powerful signal of where we're heading. Devices, digital technologies that allow us to hack the human body to gain new capabilities, okay? And again, I don't think that is going to be seen as anything too extreme in 10, you know, 15 years from now. I think you guys know where this is heading. It's heading to a place where the boundaries between our minds and the physical world uh, dissolves, and we are able to start to control technology using our own minds, and we gain from that all kinds of superhuman capabilities, right? You guys know, Ray Kerr Kurzweil has talked a lot about this. The singularity is near, you know, the boundaries between man and machine um, disappear, and we are able to gain superhuman intelligence, and ultimately we upload our minds to the cloud and we live forever, right, eternal life. And make no mistake, immortality, eternal youth or eternal life is the ultimate end game of this trend I am talking to you about. Immortality or eternal youth, I think, will be the ultimate status play in the 21st century. This guy's called Anjua Singh. He's the world's oldest marathon runner. He's 100 years old and he's still running marathons, okay? Yes, he looks pretty old, but will we one day see like 500-year-olds doing this, right? And think of the status that will be attached to that. Will we see people living hundreds and hundreds of years and remaining looking young? This is the ultimate end game of this trend I'm talking to you about. Again, it seems fanciful in the extreme now. It seems almost beyond crazy, but can we be totally sure it's not going to happen? Right? Shouldn't we start to think about what it would mean if it did happen now? And again, that is my challenge to you when you leave here today. This trend lab rats, whether you believe in the eternal youth thing or not, right? this trend lab rats is a real powerful shift that will that will massively help to shape the 21st century. It's up to all of us now, as individuals, as societies, as innovators, to think about what that trend means for us. What does it mean when some people are going to be able to upgrade the human body to gain new skills that they didn't have before, and that's going to be the ultimate source of status? Okay, are we going to see the emergence of a rich cast of people with all these incredible superhuman abilities, and then the rest of us? What does that mean for society? What does it mean for democracy? We need to, again, I don't have the answer, to these huge questions, okay? We need to start thinking about them now. Okay, my final higher order human need is belief. We are hard-coded as human beings to pursue, to need a higher meaning in our lives, okay? A higher purpose in our lives. And if you look across 
all the societies in human history, even the hunter-gatherer societies, they had religious beliefs, they had spiritual beliefs. They situated themselves within a story um, that gave themselves a, a, a position within the universe they could see around them, okay? Gave their lives meaning, even if it was just a small universe of their forest, their wood, okay? They had a story about what their lives meant within that universe. I talked to you briefly at the beginning about what modernity and what science has done to that, okay? Modernity and the scientific revolution was like a trade-off. Um, it gave us huge power over the physical world, but it stripped us of this sense that we have a, a wider role to play in the cosmic story of the universe, okay? And now we believe we're just one species of like evolved ape in a tiny corner of the universe with no great significance whatsoever. And we are the first human beings in history to believe that, okay? But the human need for a higher meaning is still there. The human need for a higher meaning for our lives will not go away. Uh, and again, what I'm saying to you is, this cluster of technologies, AI, virtual reality, augmented reality, they are going to allow us uh, in the 21st century to construct all kinds of new higher meanings for our lives, all kinds of new beliefs um, that we can subscribe to. And I call this trend augmented belief. This is where augmented modernity really comes into its own. Okay? Augmented belief is about the way technologies are going to allow us to construct new beliefs, new religious beliefs even, in the 21st century. Okay, let's start with political beliefs, though. Again, like a fairly down-to-earth innovation to start with. Um, this is from MTV Brazil. They recently created an AI-fueled chatbot called Mr. Congress Man. So they took four years' worth of political data, like speeches in Congress, interviews with politicians, news stories, all of that. They used it to train an AI that can now have a conversation with you, a very natural conversation. You can talk to it about the political issues of the day, all of that stuff, and of course, the idea is through this conversation, you gain a greater clarity on what you believe politically and what you think about the issues of the day in Brazil. Okay, so it just helps you understand your own political position. Uh, again, even in an innovation like this, and we see these kinds of innovations all the time, like I'm saying, even in an innovation like this, you see the beginnings of this trend, augmented belief, how people are going to leverage these new technologies to seek a higher meaning, to develop new beliefs that they can subscribe to in the 21st century. Just staying with politics for a minute, um, this is a guy called Lawrence Lessig. He's a um, professor of political theory at Harvard University. He is now laying the political ground rules for a new virtual world called Seed. Seed is going to be a massive virtual world that runs in virtual reality, okay? And the idea is that at first there are thousands and then ultimately millions of inhabitants of this virtual world, and we are going to get to see for the first time ever in real time the evolution of this state, the evolution of this political entity that was given these initial ground rules. And of course, the idea is that when we watch this evolution, we can take from that uh, learnings, we can take from that information that we can start to apply to our own societies, to our own democracies, okay? Um, what about kicking it on a step even further? What about technologies uh, allowing us to develop new kinds of religious or spiritual beliefs, right? That sounds maybe too crazy. This is a guy called Anthony Lewandowski. He's founded an organization called Way of the Future. Um, he calls it the first AI church, okay? He wants to build, he wants to build an AI that we worship as a god. 
Um, he, he, thinks, he thinks we should get ready for a moment that he calls the transition, where we admit that we are no longer the most intelligent beings on the planet, or we hand over planet Earth to super-intelligent AI to run, and we can just become children again. Like, we can just play. There's nothing less for us to do, okay? That's what he thinks the transition will be about. Is he crazy? Maybe. And I highly doubt that way off the future is going to be the church we all end up believing in, right? But I talked to you at the beginning about how science and modernity stripped us of the old religious certainties we had, stripped us of the sense that there is a God-given meaning to our lives, that our lives mean something in the broader cosmic scheme of the universe. What if we are going to see the evolution now of technologies that allow us to put some of that meaning back in? to develop new meanings for ourselves that we can believe in. Like, think about seed, okay? What if we can develop massive virtual worlds, and inside those virtual worlds, political ideologies uh, evolve that we can believe in? And we can take those political ideologies and apply them to the real world, okay? We're already building massive virtual worlds now. You guys know this. There are millions of people playing Fortnite simultaneously at any one time. Okay? And once virtual reality matures, once, it, once it's ready, these virtual worlds are going to be totally immersive and very convincing. What if we can build virtual worlds that have religious and spiritual beliefs hard-coded back in? Okay? Virtual worlds where good deeds really are rewarded, where bad deeds really are punished. A virtual world where there really is a God in this virtual world. You really do have a purpose. Your life really does mean something. We talk a ton about how AI and automation is going to render hundreds of millions of people unnecessary for the economy in the 21st century. Hundreds of millions, billions maybe, of young people unemployed. How will they find any purpose in their lives? What are they going to do with their lives? Right? I think what they will do, millions of them, hundreds of millions of them maybe, is they will turn to virtual worlds to find a new kind of meaning in their life, to find a new kind of higher meaning in their life. And they will demand virtual worlds where there is that kind of meaning. They're already finding meaning playing Fortnite. They're already finding meaning and status in that. They're definitely going to be looking for higher forms of meaning in these virtual worlds that we build. And you start to ask yourself, are we going to create massive virtual utopias that no one really wants to leave? Okay, again, it seems a million miles from where we are now, but my challenge to you guys as digital innovators is to start thinking about it now. Because I think this trend, augmented belief, people leveraging these technologies and ultimately leveraging massive shared virtual worlds to pursue new forms of meaning, new forms of spiritual and religious meaning in the end, that is profoundly going to help shape the 21st century. Okay, so look. Social connection, status and belief, three higher order human needs that we've always pursued. And my fundamental message to you is in the 21st century, new technologies are going to unlock new ways of serving those needs and that will develop powerful trends that you guys, all of us, need to know about in the 21st century. There is one last thing I want to say before I'm out of here, okay? One last higher order human need that is a massively important part of this puzzle that we cannot leave out. And that higher order human need is power. Human beings are hard-coded to seek power over one another. And so many of our social relations are power relations. And we made a massive mistake when we forgot about that 
in the first wave of digital innovation that we've just been through. We were sold, like I said at the beginning, this Silicon Valley ideology of techno-optimism that said, don't worry about that, people are inherently good, connect the world, everything will be fantastic. Okay? And it didn't turn out that way. Instead, what we saw is the consolidation of a few massively powerful, huge tech platforms that now have absolutely huge, unaccountable power over all of us, okay? often more power than our own governments have. We do not want to make that mistake again with the next wave of digital innovation that I'm talking to you guys about. But look at who is lining up to take advantage of these new trends in the 21st century. Okay? I talked to you about the, the merging of mind and machine, so we gain new superhuman abilities. Elon Musk's company, Neuralink, is working to make that a reality. Okay, we talked about the status-fueled quest for eternal youth and eternal life. The Alphabet or Google company, Calico, is working on a solution to death. Okay, it wants to be. Google want to be the people that give us eternal youth in the 21st century. So we already need to be asking ourselves now, who will be the apple of full-size AI-fueled robots? Okay, that we have relationships with? Who will be the Amazon of superhuman intelligence delivered to your doorstep right when you want it? We need to start asking those questions now. All of us as societies. So a couple of challenges, final challenges for you guys before I definitely am out of here. A couple of things, okay? As citizens, be relentless as you watch these technologies mature and as you watch these trends emerge. Be relentless about asking yourselves, where is the power flowing to? Who is gaining power from these new trends? Who is gaining power from these innovations? If we do that, if we are vigilant okay, about where the power is flowing, we won't repeat the same mistake again, and we can start to, re uh, to prepare for how we deal with this new world of power and how we do what's necessary to make sure we don't get even more enormous unaccountable private organizations wielding power over us. As innovators, the second challenge is see your own innovation through the lens of these higher order human needs. Connection, status, and belief. The app you're making, the platform you are making, um, you know, the device you are making, how will that feed into these trends? How will that unlock new ways to serve these higher order human needs? How are people going to use that to serve these needs they have, status, connection, belief? What will the consequences be? What will some of the consequences that you didn't intend, what will they be? Okay, if you can start to think about that now, your innovations can start to make sure that we go in the direction we want to go in, not the direction we don't want to go in. You might think you're too small to make a difference. Do not think that, okay? The app you make, the platform you make, however small it is, it helps to set expectations that eventually spread. That's why we talk at Trendwatching all the time about the expectation economy. Individual innovations, people don't have to use them, they just have to see them. Okay, individual innovations set expectations that spread, the big players respond to them. So the app you're making, the platform you're making, it does matter. It will help fuel these expectations that shape the 21st century. So I think if we do those two things, okay, number one, if we're vigilant about where the power is going, number two, as innovators, if we see the innovations we are creating, through the lens of human nature, through the lens of this special set of higher order human needs, the next wave of innovation can be better. In fact, the next wave of innovation can be amazing. But that is more than enough from me. It's been super fun talking to you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.
Thank you. Thank you.